welcome back to What in the History, uh, episode 11, part two. We are still talking about Al Capone. As always, my name is Dan Brady. Joining me from deep in the heart of Texas is my partner in crime, Johnny. Johnny, how are you? I'm Johnny. Johnny, it's good to be here. I'm doing great. I'm actually Johnny Smith, but my friends call me Scarface. <laughs> uh, my brain shut down halfway through that, so I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> Blame the Taliban for that one. I just went. Hmm? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, "Fuck! What's oh his last Lord. name?" <laughs> it's kind of like Dan Brandy. Who's who is everybody in the world's quickest alias? <laughs> John Smith. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and haven't picked up on this. Me and uh, me and Johnny here like to consider ourselves stand-up comedians, and we were doing. <laughs> oh boy, that's a vote of confidence. We were doing the show. That's the joke. But I'm bump. It's all I do. Uh, we were performing at a Puerto Rican restaurant, and uh, which, by the way, for those of you who didn't know, that is not my uh, that is not my audience. That's not my target audience. <laughs> And nothing against uh, the Puerto Ricans. And this is not a slur. It was a legitimate restaurant for Puerto Rican, Puerto a, Rican, Puerto Rican cuisine. Now I'm there's, down. There's a picture of my uh, stereotype white ass standing in front of the Puerto Rican flag. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so the host, I like to think that I have a very easy name. I have one of the whitest names possible, Dan Brady. Uh, the host calls me up because they were so fucking high. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan uh, Brandy. <laughs> and me like an idiot, uh, uh, spoiler alert, I was the one who took the picture. I scream out, yeah, Dan Brandy. <laughs> and then I think I said something to the tune of, Boy, I'm really glad I drove two hours to have the whitest name possible mispronounced. You should have changed it up for the... Uh, you know what? The more I joke about this, it's probably going to get racial, so I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> yeah, you can't, can't be on your soapbox in the last episode. Then just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to tread into the waters. That's good. Uh <laughs> Just remain on the side of the pool, Johnny, please, for the sake of this podcast. Oh, that's the alt coming out in me. <laughs> Am I right? Ah! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'll see myself out, guys. <laughs> oh, uh, so basically, where we last left off. <laughs> get this train moving. And no, we ain't talking about the Trump train. <laughs> get this train moving. Um, when we last left off in part one, uh, Al Capone rose to the seat of power, uh, corruption, you know, just <clears throat> all of this, uh, awful shit. And, uh, kind of at the height of his reign in the late 1925, uh, Capone decided to take his family home to your New York city for Christmas. Um, but there's an ulterior motive to this because, Remember, he has a son named Sonny Capone. He had a really terrible uh, ear infection. 
So he okay. had to take his son home to get treated by the best surgeons NYC had to offer. Um, the operation was sex successfully performed on Christmas Eve without a hitch. Uh, but Sonny Capone would always have partial hearing loss in, his, in that year for the rest of his life. Now, did Al Capone blame anyone for that? No. Okay. Um, with the condition being taken care of, Capone uh, decided to see some of his other dealings in the city. And Christmas Day, he paid a visit to an old hangout he often frequented in his youth called the Adonis Social Club. Now, just to interrupt you real quick, Dan, I have a question. <clears throat> Shoot. Even though he was the, uh, the capo of uh, Chicago, mm -hmm. and he was very powerful there, did his influence also uh, spread to New York while he was there? Yeah, um, he, he had affiliations in New York City. Okay, business partners or, or business associates, I would say. Yeah, stuff like that. Plus, okay. you know, Remember, his old buddy, Johnny Torrio, was there, too. So uh, he okay, went to... So he had a good relationship there. Yeah. So this Adonis Social Club was uh, frequent, frequented by Italian mobsters. Um, but on this night, a Irish rival group uh, uh, and a gangster by the name of Richard Lonergan, Lonergan was on the scene causing a bit of trouble. Um, Lonergan and his thugs uh, had apparently been intimidating customers and yelling obscenities at staff, uh, such as criminals do. Um, for much of the night when Capone and his crew, <laughs> uh, crew arrived around 2 a.m., Capone would later claim that his arrival was a coincidence, but the events that transpired next it seemed to be far from chance. Uh, as soon as Capone... When his subordinates arrived, someone in the club dimmed the lights as if right on cue, tables were flipped up for wooden shields and gunshots erupted in the darkness. Um, <clears throat> Lonergan and go ahead. Now, before we go on to describe what chaos ensued, just imagine how terrifying that would be. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, our, it's two in the morning. It's already late. You're going into an environment you know with seedy characters. You're with seedy characters yourself. As soon as you get in there, the lights go out, and all you hear is tables being flipped in gunfire. That's got to be terrifying no matter who you are. Yeah. Uh, Lonergan and his uh, gangsters were shot the fuck up. Um, the only one to escape was uh, an associate by the name of James Hart who had to quickly crawl out of the club. His lower legs had been shattered by bullets. Um, Police later tried to question Hart as he was the only uh, surviving witness, but as often was the case, uh, the universal gangster cold of silence prevailed. And, uh, Which I respect. And he didn't spill the beans, and he refused to testify. Um, Dan, there's, there's a, this is a moment I've been waiting my entire life for. I've always wanted to say this and have a legitimate reason to say this. Yeah, see? We shot him up like Swiss cheese, see? <laughs> Well, I'm glad to see uh, that I helped you fulfill your lifelong dream. That's just what in the history is all about, making dreams come true, see? <laughs> Though you could have said that till the St. Valentine's Day massacre, but hey, man, you shot your shot. You did it. Oh, man. I didn't. This is the second time I shot my shot, and Matumbo was on the other fucking side. <laughs> um, no, no, no. 
<laughs> so Capone uh, got away with murder once again. By January 1926, he was back in Chicago to celebrate the brand new year. Um, at this point, uh, Capone, at this point, Capone's point, <laughs> shit got went kapunk. <laughs> uh, Capone's reign over Chicago seemed unshakable. Yeah, co- co- corrupted and controlled. Them. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's take a second. Get yourself together. Pull it up. Ugh. Oh, he said you fell apart. <laughs> I swear to God, on the break in between parts. Uh, for those of you who don't know. We'll record part one, end it, wait about 15 minutes. I swear to God, I, t- I didn't go and rip like the biggest dad possible. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do shots with my mom and my niece. I swear to God. <laughs> mm. This is actually probably our driest episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I am stone cold sober. Maybe that's why this is one of the better episodes. I hey, don't you talk about weed like that, you fucker. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mary guys, Jane. Guys, you you almost heard the ending of <laughs> what what in the history. It was almost unforgivable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not only did I offend my co- podcast partner, but I offended my plug. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I will say I'm a government man these days because my plug is now the government. (laughs) Uncle Sam provides me with my shit. Uncle Sam's got some good shit. Oh, I'm sure he does. From Vietnam to Afghanistan, but (laughs) this episode ain't about that. (laughs) That's a great point. Oh, Dear CIA agent listening to this, we aren't on to your ruse. Please don't kill me in my sleep. Yeah, we don't we know we know the, the war and the, the strife in the Middle East is because we want democracy over there, not because they control the opium. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so no one seemed uh, motivated to take down Al Capone. Uh, that is until a popular assistant state's attorney by the name of William H. McSwiggin uh, turned up dead. That's uh, a hell of a name, though, McSwiggin. Yeah. Um, that sounds if, like a McDonald's old beer. <laughs> Can I get him a pond of McSwiggin? Yeah. <laughs> Can I have the McSwiggin <laughs> special, please? I want to get Mick fucked up. Um, at 26 year old, he was known as a non, as a no nonsense prosecutor who successfully pursued a string of high profile cases, uh, much like uh, Harvey Dent did for Gotham City, uh, in the comic books. Okay, so it's, this guy was like the white light of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. His crime crime fighting came to an end, however, on April 27th, when a friend of his named Tom Duffy took Miss Swiggin over to Cicero for a night of drinking. Miss Swiggin was Swiggin. Um, <laughs> he was nicknamed the Hangman Prosecutor. He was a straight-laced lawman, but he was also known to take a few swigs of his preferred beverage on the occasion as well. Um, well and as you guys know uh, from our Prohibition episode, it was illegal to manufacture it. It was not illegal to consume it if you already had it when Prohibition set in. 
Right, or had a medical license. There was a lot of loopholes, but we're getting off topic. <laughs> well, technically, that is a previous topic, which, by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode, you should listen to part one and two of Prohibition. <clears throat> it's a really fun episode, actually, surprisingly. Found, found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Cast, YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plugs. Stitcher, Twitch. Uh, on this particular night, uh, McSwiggin ended up going to a popular hangout called the Pony Inn. Uh, that is a hell of a bar name. After several rounds of beer, McSwiggin <laughs> and his friends left the bar only to be caught in a burst of gunfire coming from a passing car. Uh, McSwiggin sustained multiple gunshot wounds and was rushed off to the hospital where he passed away uh, the next day. After so many had looked mm. the other way for so long, uh, Chicago was filled with a sense of righteous indignation at the word of the passing of this respected attorney and, uh, and demanded a thorough investigation. It didn't take long for investigators to pick up a trail that led right to Al Capone. He was taken in for questioning, but of course he denied all charges. Uh, he's recorded uh, as saying, I didn't kill Miss Swigan, I like the kid. As the investigation uh, progressed, it became clear that Capone's gangsters were indeed behind the bullets uh, that killed McSwiggin. But the findings seemed to indicate that the murder was actually an accident. As often happens with rampant gang uh, violence, it appears that McSwiggin and his friends were not the intended uh, targets, but were caught in the crosswire, crossfire of gang warfare. Nevertheless, the city's raging. So he was just collateral damage? Yeah, it was an unfortunate accident. Um, okay. So, again, the city was pissed off. Um, there were several raids on Capone's establishment. It was during one of those raids at Capone's Hawthorne Smoke Shop that investigators picked up a piece of evidence that would one day put Capone in prison. So you know what they found, Johnny? Did they find details of Capone's plots, Capone's hit list? Um, no, they didn't. I'm, I'm betting it was something to the lines of like maybe an LLC or receipt, some type of accounting that showed he uh, was the owner of the business. Uh, yes, something like that. It was documented evidence um, <laughs> of tax evasion. Mm. He's the original Wesley Snipes. Uh, during this time, Al Capone would say, I've been accused of every death except the casualty list of World War. Oh, so he gets a little persecution complex? Yeah, poor guy. Oh, boy. I only killed 150 people, but they're trying to say I killed 200 people. Mm-hmm. Piece of shit. <laughs> yep. Uh... For most of 1928, you would think that perhaps Al Capone was on extended vacation. Uh, 1928 forked over $40,000, which is the equivalent of around $560,000 in 2018, uh, to purchase a 14-room mansion getaway in Palm Island near Flor Florida, near Miami Beach. Fun fact, I was just listening to a, a true crime podcast about uh, Elaine Warnos, and she fucked the lead singer Foghat in this mansion. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that as well, which is a fascinating little tidbit 
it's here nor there, but it's hilarious. Uh, Elaine would also later say that he had a small dick, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't make fun of people for small penises because that's what God gave them. And some of those guys took small penises and turned it into podcast career. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> oh. Johnny, your laugh sounds like a B-rate joker. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> hey, they couldn't get Mark Hamill, so they got me. Uh, but it wasn't all fun and games in the Sunshine State because in the midst of vacationing that year, Capone's son uh, took a turn for the worse. His ear infection had returned, and it had uh, he had to receive emergency treatment from the Capone family physician, which, by the way, how terrifying would it be to be a family physician of such that's, a feared mobster? That's why I asked if he ever blamed anybody for his son's hearing loss, because God forbid you're the surgeon, and this is Al Capone's kid. I'm going to be fucking terrified. Right. Oh, man. It's like you either make this surgery successful or you don't come back. Mm-hmm. Uh it was a successful surgery. The infection went into remission. Um, but it wasn't just infection uh, <clears throat> that the physician was worried about. The doctors in his care also insisted that the boy be tested for syphilis. Not only that, they suggested that Capone's wife maybe should be tested as well. Um, I have a question for you, Dan. Is syphilis transmitted uh, through birth? Uh, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of STDs, but if May had it, she got it from Capone, and then the con son uh, coming through the uterus um, probably contracted it as well. Because I've, I, you know, and maybe I've lived a sheltered life, but I've never heard of a child with syphilis. But it was because uh, the doctor had heard it through the grapevine that Al Capone had been seen in a mistress who uh, had come down with full-blown syphilis and was concerned that this dreaded illness had been passed to his wife and child. Fortunately for Sonny and May, they proved to be completely free of uh, the STD. Oh, good for them. Though Capone wasn't tested uh, at the time, um, he would not prove to be as lucky, famously finding himself completely ravaged by the disease in the latter years of his life. Um, the fact that the physician was worried about the disease made it clear that uh, Capone's extramarital affairs were well known. It is said that May, of course, was well aware of them too, but she and her husband came from a time and place that taught them to minimize such things as, as being irrelevant to their state of uh, their matrimony. Uh, and you know what? I'm, I'm not uh, giving him an excuse, but it seems like... Uh, Having a mistress in those times was very commonplace, almost accepted. But as long as you could take care of the both of them. Yeah, it was. It was basically um, May understood that with the wealth and the money that she's getting from Capone, he's going to fuck other women. Um, it was basically like a faithful marriage meant financially taking care of the family and treating each other with respect, which Capone is. I want to put this out there, Dan. Um, if there's any women out there that make a pretty penny 
and want to get romantically involved with me, but are worried that they can't stay faithful. If you put me up in a nice house and pamper me, I will surely look the other way. <laughs> Attaboy, Johnny. Um, <laughs> but it, it is said that he treated his wife without most reverence. Um, you know, he treated her right uh, aside from, you know, fucking other women. Uh, his flings with showgirls were trivial and meaningless as long as all privilege and priority were given to his wife. Um, Capone spent most of the time at his Florida estate and luxury. He spent it plotting and planning. It is said that Capone wishing to shake up his rivals back in Chicago, especially one of his enemies, uh, Northside gangster Bugs Moran, concocted the infamous St. Valentine's Day massacre from his sunny locale. Carried Which out is genius, was a genius plot. I mean, I hate to give this guy credit on certain things, even though he was a terrible human, this is a, a, a hell of a plot. Oh, yeah. Um, so this was carried out on February 14th, 1929. Uh, this bloody Valentine Day delivered, cur Valentine delivered courtesy of Capone took no prisoners. Um, a group of Capone's hitmen strong-armed uh, seven members of the North Side Gang, they were lured into a warehouse through subterfuge and deception. The Duke gangsters believed they were there to receive an illicit uh, shipment of stolen liquor. Um, Capone then st staged a fake uh, raid in which some of his gangsters were dressed as police officers, stormed into the building, and had all their Northsiders stand up against the wall. Um, when such a surprise raid did happen, even if the gangsters were arrested, all it took was a few bribes to corrupt the officials. So the mobsters were out the same day. So these career criminals didn't flinch, and they're ready to cooperate with the police and go through the motions. Um, okay. But of course, uh, that wasn't what this was. Uh, the uniformed men uh, before them, unfortunately, were not. Uh, Chicago police officers after being lined up against the warehouse wall before they even knew what hit them uh, the north side mobsters were all shot execution style uh, on the spot the gunmen fled the scene and only one of the victims managed to survive long enough to talk to the police uh, but even in the throes of death when asked who shot him he maintained the mob's codes of silence Omerta, uh, when, asked, when asked who shot you uh, bleeding and riddled with bullets, the survivor said, no one shot me. This lone survivor of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre passed away uh, soon thereafter, and he took his testimony with him to the grave. Um, Good on him. <laughs> right. Don't get in that life if you can't keep your fucking mouth shut. But the, but the chances of him actually knowing who shot him were very small. Like, what is it going to say? The police? You know? Like, what would have happened? Fair enough, but it still makes him sound better. Because he didn't even give the off. Because he could have easily said the police, some guys, you know, Capone's men. But he said, clearly, you're sitting there full of fucking holes. And he said, no one shot me. Uh, right. Um, so because of this, again, public outcry was, became even louder. Uh, a grand jury was formed against Capone. And he was ordered to testify before them on the best charges they could trump up at the time violation of the federal prohibition laws 
1929, the prohibition of alcohol was still in force, and it was well known that Capone's main bread and butter was, of course, the sale and distribution of illegal alcohol. Capone delayed his court appearances, citing his poor health. When he finally did decide to show up in court on March 27th of 1929, FBI agents apprehended Capone shortly thereafter. Uh, incredibly, even though his crimes were well known, the only thing the FBI could officially charge him with was contempt of court for missing his previous court appearance. Um, Ain't got nothing on me, see? <laughs> there you go, Johnny. Ain't got nothing on me, coppers. <laughs> um, May 1929, Capone was given a sentence that was enhanced by the fact that he was found carrying a gun on his person, giving him a stint in jail that lasted until March of 1930. So he was in jail for about a year, a little under a year. Uh, you know what, though? That's not nothing, really, uh, in the grand scheme of things, like doing a year. Yeah, it's an inconvenience to your life, and it can halt some stuff. But it's not that big of a goddamn deal. And then especially when you're a man of Al Capone's stature with all that money and influence, I'm sure it wasn't even a fucking that big of a problem. So uh, shortly thereafter, he gained his freedom. He, uh, <clears throat> he was given the distinction of public enemy number one. Which is an honor amongst criminals, I would assume. Yeah, um, there's... Quite a few guys like, uh, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, Don Gillinger, um, <clears throat> stuff like that. Um, public enemy number one, when that was a real thing, people were almost proud of that. It's a, it's a criminal at the top of the FBI's list of 10 most wanted criminal, uh, major menace to public safety. Um, See, and now imagine, I imagine Al Capone being public enemy number one, getting a kick out of it bragging you remember when osama bin laden was on the top of the 10 most wanted list i don't think he was walking around his compound going ha you see what i've done right <laughs> <laughs> um he was viewed to be as such a threat to the interests of the public uh he could only be brought to um custody on the flimsiest of charges something that was repeated in miami florida in the april of 1930 which you know, a couple years ago, he was treated as a hero, but he, he killed a lot of people. Um, I think the public of Chicago just started to realize, like, hey, life isn't that great right now under, you know, a mob empire. Yeah, when you could die at any minute for crossing a man the wrong way who you might not even meant to have, <laughs> it, it outweighs him giving some soup lines out. Uh, in April of 1930, he was arrested on vagrancy charges. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> Capone then made the mistake of claiming that his guards had not given him uh, food and water. These complaints did not uh, grant Capone any better treatment. Instead, he was accused of lying and subsequently charged with perjury. perjury. Huh. That, now that's fascinating turn of events. Yeah. They um, were just really trying to get anything to stick. If, they, if he said they didn't feed me and didn't give me water, they're like, nope, you're a liar, perjury. They were really just trying to throw shit at him. Right. So he was released uh, from jail uh, February 1931. Um, so he, he spent basically since 29, 1929, he spent most of his time in jail. 
Um, so his, his criminal empire is coming to an end. Uh, he ended up being sentenced for six months but kept himself out of jail due to appeals process. And the uh, constant barrage of minor crimes, it was as if they were trying to kill the kingpin through a death of a thousand paper cuts. Mm. Um, however, uh, the final breakthrough to take Capone down didn't come from grand juries, didn't come from the police, didn't come from FBI, comes from everybody's favorite three-lettered agency, the IRS. Oh, these fucking guys. You know, the fact that the IRS were, were the ones responsible for taking him down does not make me like them anymore at all. Right. Um, the idea that crime bosses could be taken down for a failure to pay taxes on their illicit gains was the brainchild of then acting assistant attorney, General Mabel Walker Wilbrandt. And you know what? I don't know all the rules, but I'm sure to get to that point, they had to do some real mental gymnastics. Well, they, they found the evidence in, what, 1929, and it took them uh, – two, three years to be like, aha, we got it. This so, is how we get him. So, it, I mean, even look at uh, uh, the Untouchables. They had an entire task force uh, head by Elliot Ness to try and take him down, and they couldn't even get anything to stick on him then. Um, yeah. So th they were working hard on this, uh, you know, that's why I, I think his story is so fascinating because you could tell they were just grasping at straws. And I feel like they just got lucky with the tax evasion thing. Like yeah, for law. sure. And I'm sure it was a new law because that couldn't have been something that was regularly discussed as far as the IRS goes. It's like, oh, criminal enterprises have to pay taxes too. They probably pulled that out of their ass. Well, um, Assistant Attorney General Mabel uh, Walker Wilbrandt she um basically she came to the conclusion that these uh crime bosses made a lot of money from their illegal dealings so none of them ever filed their taxes um or any money making uh as any money making citizen would it was then that she realized that all these were usually untouchable monsters all these untouchable monsters could be easily brought down uh by this one glaring uh, fact. You know what? I didn't want to say it. I don't want to malign anybody, but I'm going to. You know what took down Al Capone? Fucking nerds. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, uh, what was uh, Rico uh, charges that took down the mobster, dismantled the mobster's empires in the 1980s, the racketeering charges and stuff like that. that racketeering uh, and what, criminal... Yeah. Organization. Uh, you know, headed by old uh, child fucker himself, Rudy Giuliani. Old child. Now, you know what? This is going to be a hard stance. I watched Borat 2 yesterday, and there was nowhere in the mansion before the interview to Rudy Giuliani that the girl was supposedly 15. I'm not trying to defend him, but I feel like uh, if they would have told him beforehand she was 15, they would have showed that on camera, too. Right. Um. I I didn't like the first Borat. I barely ever watched it, so I'm not ever going to watch this one either. It's so. fair enough. It's not for everybody. However, I almost cried. I laughed so hard watching Borat too. 
half of this podcast highly recommends it. <laughs> uh, and the other half will take your word for it. <laughs> uh, at this point, there was already presidents for it. Uh, since in 1927, the highest court in the land of the Supreme Court had decided in the case of United States versus Sullivan that criminally earned money was still indeed subject to tax income. Uh, to income wild. Uh, formulating their plan, the IRS then created a task force to look into Capone's financial dealings. The main evidence that they had come up was documented uh, proof of Capone's financial worth. After looking into the matter, they found a rather easy means of proving Capone's finances. Although, although Capone kept no records of his earnings, it was discovered that his attorney had already made up um, uh, stuff to come up with ways for Capone to pay taxes, so falsified tax records. Although okay. these talks never amounted to anything, Capone's lawyer was on the record stating that Capone had made over $100,000 during the years of 1929 uh, and 1928. Now, doesn't that violate some type of confidentiality between lawyer and, and I don't know, customer? It was, yeah, but this was like the Wild West of law enforcement and stuff like that. They desperately wanted to take Capone down. Here it is. Point taken. Uh, this was the smoking gun uh, right there in black and white print was Capone's own attorney signing off on the fact that, oh, uh, you also got to remember these papers were seized during a raid. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes, that clears it up a little bit, yeah. actually. Uh, from this alone, Capone was charged and convicted of income tax evasion in 1931. Uh, at first, it appeared that Capone would be allowed to plead guilty in order to gain a reduced sentence, but such talk would, uh, quickly disappeared. Capone was instead handed an 11-year sentence and was ordered to pay over $215,000 in back taxes. Um, so, yeah, uh, 11-year jail sentence. Um, so they finally got the man. And that in today's money is close to $3 million. Oh, did you look it up? No, I just remember the 40000 was equivalent to over 500000 Yeah. So quick maths. Quick maths. Uh, in May of 1932, at the age of 33, remember, he's a very young man. He that's, was phenom that's incredible how young he still is. I, like, I, that often gets lost to history, I believe. Yeah. Uh, plus, his mind, even though his mind was used for evil, it was brilliant. And a lot of his schemes and a lot of the plans he came up with, it, uh, he, he was a criminal genius. Absolutely. There's no denying that. Um, he served his uh, sentence, um, federal penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. The crime boss was determined to make the best of it and said that as soon as he arrived, he began to barter and enter in negotiations to gain as many privileges in prison as he could. He Does was that even, shock anybody, though? No. He was even yeah. able to pay off a couple of prison guards to serve out his own, serve as his own personal security. He's also I, received... I'm sorry, Dan. Quick, quick uh, interruption. I bribed a prison guard one time. Oh yeah. I bought him five packs of nihilators off the commissary in order for him to get me a bottle of Mountain Dew. Oh wow. 
Yeah, it was, it was, I was so happy to have that Mountain Dew. It was the first one I had in like a year. That's amazing. That had to taste great. Oh, it was so cold. And the only thing was I shared it with my cellmate because I'm not an asshole, but like the whole time I'm pouring his cup, I'm like, man, I really want this whole fucking Mountain Dew. <laughs> well, that reminds me of like coming back from Afghanistan and going to a steakhouse and ordering like a 10 ounce porterhouse and a baked potato and just, mm. Now, when you're overseas, are you, is, is it all you're eating is MREs or is there better food? We had hot chow twice a day, but it was, it was just stuff that came out of packages and it usually wasn't good. We did So get like some, close to cafeteria food? Yeah. Okay. But, and a lot of times we'd have the same stuff over and over again. It just, it wasn't great, you know? Right on. <laughs> um. Plus, like, milk was, like, dehydrated milk and stuff like that. Oh, uh, all that shit. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, the bacon we did get was, like, oven-cooked turkey bacon, you know. Hey, man, you're in a, you're in a uh, predominantly Muslim country. The last thing you want to do is offend the people you're trying to kill. Yeah, I never served uh, any of our interpreters pork sausage ever. <clears throat> well, that's, that's very respectful. I didn't expect you to say something like that. Well, uh, now I feel bad because I have sarcasm. Oh, <laughs> now I feel like an asshole. <laughs> no, no, I'm the asshole. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, I was like, wow, Dan was kind as fuck. That's very nice. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, sir. Uh, Capone even managed to get a cell equipped uh, with brand new carpet on the floor. He was allowed to have a radio. Um, I know you, you've never done time, but uh, layering your cell with carpets makes a world of fucking difference. Oh, I'm sure it does. Um, out of fear that Capone was corrupting the officials at the Atlanta jail, as he did with authorities of Chicago, uh, officials quickly decided to shuffle Capone off to a little-known new prison called Alcatraz. Boom, boom, boom. It's, it's hard to believe at this time that Alcatraz wasn't known at all. Um, and, and now it's so fucking infamous, not only as a prison, but a great site to go for, like, uh, paranormal investigations. Right. Um, of course, situ situated on an island off the coast of San Francisco. Also, a set of a great movie with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage called <laughs> The Rock. <laughs> they need our plug. They need our plug, bad. <laughs> yes, some star-studded movie from 1996 needs our... <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage actually might need our plug. <laughs> Don't buy fucking T-Rex bones, you idiot. <laughs> oh, man. We could do a podcast episode on Nick Cage. <laughs> oh, he's he's a fascinating crazy man. Yes, he is. You know what? People talk shit on his acting. People talk a lot of shit on his acting. I think he's a hell of an actor. This Have you ever up. seen Snake Eyes? Yes. Oh, great movie. Put the bunny down, Con Air. <laughs> yeah. oh. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> so, uh, Capone would no longer be able to use his force of personality to get in his, to 
get his way. He would just be another number <coughs> on the uh, you know what? I, I, I remember a quick anecdote um, that I heard about Al Capone's stay in Alcatraz mm -hmm. where he tried to skip someone in line for something and the person got obviously mad and Al Capone said, do you know who I am? And the guy responded, I know who you used to be. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so a man who used to live in luxury, he was now just a number at Alcatraz prison. <clears throat> LP seven four six five. Was that yours? That was mine. Mm. Uh, when Al Capone, the great gangster from Chicago, stepped foot on Alcatraz, his fellow inmates looked up upon his nearly six foot, six, two hundred and fifty pound frame with a mixture. <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> so you're telling me Al Capone was six foot, two hundred fifty pounds. You know, I don't know why. I've always pictured Al Capone as being like 5'5 five, five or shorter. I guess that was just mine. In my he's, own head, I made that he's up. He's your size, Johnny. I had no fucking idea Al Capone was my size. I always pictured him as a smaller man. That's wild. Uh-huh. That's uh -huh. right. For all you fuckers wondering, I am of uh, decent height and a decent weight. Yes, you are now, you beautiful bastard. Oh, listen to this guy. <laughs> um, for those who didn't know, Johnny in the past seven months has made an incredible lifestyle change and has slimmed down immensely. He used to look like uh, a tow truck driver that would rape you and leave you in a ditch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> now he looks like somebody you can bring home to mom. So... All two, of the, all two of the ladies that listen to this podcast, Johnny is single. Hey there, two ladies. <laughs> I did not know that I get, that was the vibe I gave off. I'm glad I've changed. Well, when I first met you with your long hair and stuff, it's like, oh, I've seen this tow truck driver in the movie. Yeah, Dad, I'll give you that. To be fair, my hair was halfway down my back when I straightened it out and I had a beard that looked like I just climbed down from a mountaintop because I needed more food. <laughs> oh. They expected Capone to be ruthless and to start calling the shots in the facility in short order, but Capone had other things in mind. Number one, he realized that Alcatraz was a far different uh, prison than anywhere else. Um, Alcatraz began its life as a military in installation uh, before being converted into a prison. Here, no matter who you were, if you showed the least amount of resistance, the guard would uh, beat you back in the shape. The military Woo! position of Alcatraz was absolutely ruthless. There was no cajoling or bribing. Secondly, Al Capone realized that his only real uh, recourse to shortening his sentence his sentence was to get on out on good behavior, and this meant following the rules. Sure, some of the felons that were serving life sentences had nothing to lose, but Capone could be out in a matter of a few years if he played his car right. Uh, it was for these two reasons that inmates at Alcatraz saw a very different Al Capone beginning to take shape. Uh, following his guards, guards' orders to the letter, he became a model inmate. 
His first prison job was in the library putting away books. A simple job, one that he very much enjoyed. Uh, it's highly a coveted job, though, too, in, in, in inside. Yeah. Working at the library is a good gig. You know, it, it's amazing to me how many, like, uh, well, Al Capone and then, like, uh, <clears throat> serial killers like Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper, uh, for the prison system in California, he, he recorded most of the library books onto uh, audio tape for uh, blind uh, prisoners. Witness fascinating. Yeah. You know what, though? I know I'm not the only one. I'm sure there were many men like me. A lot of times the library is what allowed you to escape the world we lived in. And, mm -hmm. you know, and looking in the cells, you could read and be in a whole nother world. Right. So everybody in the library, at least when I was around, I don't know how the people act, but everybody in the library was awfully well behaved. Um, so during the course of his work, he became an avid reader. Although he had nothing more than a sixth grade education, Capone put it to use reading as much as possible. He's enthralled by travel guide type books about faraway places, which is, which is fascinating to me because he could have traveled to these places. Yeah, but now that he's inside, he needs the escape. Um, he also read uh, quite a bit on politics uh, with red uh, records indicating that he once checked out a book entitled Looking Forward, which outlined then uh, President uh, Roosevelt's plan uh, for the future of America. Capone, in his own strange way, also viewed himself as a patriot and as criminal enterprise, he simply viewed to be a byproduct of the same capitalist system that uh, Roosevelt championed. Um, you know, he's not necessarily wrong on that. The, the rule of supply and demand, you know, people are going to buy this, they're going to want this service, they're going to get it somewhere, why not get it from me? Um, Capone's supervisor at the library wrote up a glowing account of his time, of the time he put in. He noted Capone as being friendly, pleasant, energetic, and faithful. His only complaint that Capone um, apparently uh, <clears throat> was occasionally a bit too headstrong, but he's found often making recommendations about what work should be done when such advice was not warranted. Um, <laughs> but all in all, his supervisor wished to keep Al Capone on for the long haul. That is, that's such a surprising fact. You know, like you're this ruthless um, mafia mogul, I'll even say at this point. And then you go inside and you're the model fucking employee at the library. So Capone, um, he gets transferred from what you say is the cushiest job in a prison to which I got to imagine is the worst. And he got moved to the laundry room. You know what? I, 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 I heard it's a little hot. I never worked in the laundry room, but I didn't hear like people complaining, you know, because that gives you the opportunity to get new clothes, to get cl better clothing. You know, cause a lot of times they issue you and clothes and whatever you get, you get, you know, sometimes I would get a shirt that was seven X and a pair of pants that were two X. But when you're in the laundry room, you have more control over your clothing. So ironically, it's not that bad of a gig. And a lot of people might also think, uh, jumping onto this, working in the kitchen is a bad gig. No, that's also pretty decent. Um, thank you for your insight, Johnny. No problem. 
Uh, under the hellish, con- I know on ship, laundry room was the best fucking gig because you literally did like 15 minutes of work and then you got the fuck off for a couple of hours. Yeah, it's not like you're you're doing laundry over those old wa- you know washboards in the river. You throw it in a machine, hit some buttons. But under the hellish conditions of the Alcatraz laundry room, uh, tempers often flare, and Capone soon found himself the target of other agitated inmates. Uh, he was attacked by a fellow prisoner, and although he did not fight back, he was punished just as much as the attacker. For what are you not fighting back for? He wants to get out on good behavior. Dan, in prison, though, if you get attacked, it might mean your life if you can't defend yourself. To me, that was a stupid call. Uh, Capone was automatically locked up in solitary confinement. (laughs) That's rough. Uh, I feel like I went to prison just to research for this episode. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) well, thank you. Uh, That's, That's what I do, man. Uh, I'm really about the craft. So he spent a little <laughs> little over a week in the dank darkness that the denizens of Alcatraz referred to as the hole. Um, in this empty, silent void, Cap- uh, Capone, uh, only stimulus from the outside world was the metal food trade routinely dropped through his door for meals. Although it only lasted a week, it is said that Capone would come out of his confinement a changed man. Huh. A solitary will do that to you, and I'm sure it was much more intense solitary at Alcatraz. Uh, he came out of confinement to change man. The experience broke his will, shattered his spirit, and left him much weaker, both physically and mentally. Um, <clears throat> Gotta hit them push-ups in that cell, brother. You ain't got shit else to do. He was left <laughs> much more vulnerable <laughs> to attack than ever before and was demonstrated on June 23rd, 1936. Capone was attacked in the laundry room once again, uh, except this time with a pair of scissors. Inspired by the idea of making a name for himself by taking down Al Capone, this inmate launched a murderous assault on the former crime boss. As a result, Capone received several deep puncture wounds in his chest and back. Also, several lacerations on his arms and hands as he attempted to fend off the attack. Even Boom, defensive more, wounds. <clears throat> uh, even worse, a piece of the scissor blades broke off uh, and mm. embedded himself in uh, Capone's thumb. Ah, oh, God damn. Yeah, that hurt my thumb. Uh, oh, yeah. He was rushed to the hospital. Um, the, the thumb wound was the most serious since it was in the, such a precarious position. The physicians had to show great care to remove it. Uh, there was also the fear that the scissors may have been contaminated with something prior to the attack. Um, um, to, I'm going to guess if it was contaminated with something, it was probably feces. I was going to say shit, but yes. To avoid contamination, Capone was made to stay in the hospital for several days, and his body had several doses of tetanus shot pumped into it. Um, It was a slow recovery for Capone, uh, whose general condition was already been weakened by the advanced stage of syphilis from which he was suffering. After his initial release from the hospital, the hospital doors (coughs) would become a revolving door for him. Uh, Capone frequently coming in and out for treatment of various ailments. Uh, And his condition would remain 
until he is finally let out on parole for good behavior and released from Alcatraz on November 16, 1939. Uh, shortly after his release from prison, uh, actually prior to this episode, I thought he died in prison. Yeah, I, I did too. I, you know what? And I'll be honest, I've never heard about this attack. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought syphilis killed him in prison. Because history of Al Capone doesn't want to let you know that he's treated like a bitch in prison. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That ruins his image a bit. Uh, after his release, he is placed under the care of physician and syphilis specialist Dr. Joseph Moore. He received treatment at the Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. He would ring in the New Year of 1940 from his hospital bed. Huh. It was determined that his syphilis had advanced considerably during his time in prison. Uh, <clears throat> psychological tests indicated that his mind had diminished to the point of Capone having the mental capacity of a seven-year-old. Um, That's incredible. You know, I, I just, I, I think it's fascinating that syphilis, a sexually transmitted disease left untreated, affects your brain that much over time. Um. <clears throat> no matter how the professionals quantified it, Al Capone's mental state had definitely taken a turn for the worse. He's known as spout random gibberish and was often violently angry at the slightest of provocations, especially when he was confused by people he did not know. It was for this reason that the doctor suggested that the Capone family uh, hire a strong male nurse to serve as a companion and a helper uh, to chaperone Capone. Capone throughout the day in order to stabilize <coughs> his condition. So what became, uh, and you might not know this, what became of the organized crime syndicate in Chicago when Al Capone fell? As far as I know, it advanced without him. <clears throat> okay. Do you know who took over in his I, place? I do not know. Okay. That, and you know what? We can't stress this enough. Yeah, his mental capacity was diminished to that of a seven-year-old, you said? Yeah. Then just just keep in mind that even though this man was evil, he was a fucking genius. Like, on so many levels. Um, <clears throat> Al Capone was checked out of the hospital without incident and was shot. And to show her gratitude for the care he was given, his wife, May, had two weeping cherries planted on the hospital grounds. It was her gift, but it was officially signed off as a donation from Al Capone. Um, in the middle Ooh. of March, the Capone family then piled into the car and drove directly to their estate in Florida. At first, things seemed fine, but shortly after Capone's arrival, what the doctor had warned them about came to fruition. Capone attacked somebody. Now, this was at his house, at his estate, he attacked someone? Yeah, in Florida. It was no doubt f fortunate that the victim of uh, Al's anger was his own brother, uh, <clears throat> Eremo, nicknamed John. It, I, I like his nickname. Mm -hmm. It's a strong name. It's a strong Christian name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Since... Since the family was able to quickly brush off the incident out of consideration for Capone's best interests, they knew full well that if this happened to someone outside of the home, it wouldn't be taken so lightly. 
um, the police would get involved if this was a stranger. So the family had to be very uh, careful not to set Capone off. For this reason, they were quite upset when Capone's brother Ralph offered to take him to Chicago to meet up with his own friends. In Capone's mind, this meant that he was returning to his role as leader of the Chicago mall. So as as his mind deteriorated, he's as a seven-year-old, but he doesn't realize he's as the mind of a seven-year-old, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's got to be, you know, he's a piece of shit, so I don't care about him suffering. But that happening to, like, a normal everyday Joe, the family watching that has to be horrible. Mm-hmm. Well, even then, his family didn't view him as a bad guy. He he provided this wealthy life for him and stuff like that. So I'm sure on some level it has to suck. Um, you know, because all accounts, he showed his wife May and his son Sonny nothing but love you know yeah, but that doesn't make up for all the pain that he caused people the world right well like you know this... and i refuse to have any type of sympathy because that woman for a feeling like that she had to turn a blind eye to him just destroying people well like the documentary i watched the making of the chicago mob all his his grandkids were you know giving aid to this documentary and his nieces and nephews, and they all had nothing but nice things to say to him about him. Well, I, I, I can attest to that. You know, from, from all uh, conversations from my mother and my aunts and uncles, my grandfather was a fucking abusive asshole, but I have nothing of, but fond memories of him. Right. Hmm. Um, with much work and effort by... March 1941, the family managed to bring uh, some stability to Al Capone's life. He calmed down considerably and at this point could actually hold meaningful conversations with those around him, but even though he still had uh, odd bouts of behavior much of the time, including many occasions which Capone seemed to ask, act as if he were speaking to people who were not there. Capone allegedly, allegedly later revealed that those who, who will listen, he was speaking to the people that he killed. Plot twist. Mm. The Sixth Sense is actually about Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if that's a spoiler alert, that movie's like 25 plus years old. Fucking mm -hmm. watch it. There's no spoiler alerts anymore. <laughs> I see Al Capone's dead people. <laughs> uh, so discussions that the former mod boss was having with these murder souls uh, Capone confided that he was explaining to them why they had to die. Um, one, bright wow. spot, <laughs> one bright spot during these dark times came on December 30th, 1941, when Capone's son, Sonny, got married. Fuck him for naming this kid that. Um, <laughs> on this day yeah, that... Yeah, fuck, him, fuck him for that reason. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns just a normal sentence into a tongue twister. Al Capone's sonny's <laughs> son, Sonny, got married. Uh, <laughs> on this day that coincided with his own mother and father's wedding day, uh, Sonny wed his longtime girlfriend, Diana Ruth Casey. Despite fears to the contrary, Capone was on his best behavior for the event. He's in good mood. His mental facilities were surprisingly sharp, and he even managed to display his old charm for the guests. For the moment, the family was even attempt, uh, tempted to think that Capone had been cured. Mm, false hope is rough. 
Oh, yes, it is. Uh, shortly after their marriage, uh, Sonny and Diana would have back-to-back -back children, four girls in total. These granddaughters would prove to be the greatest joy of Capone's life in his last few years. He and his wife showered the grandkids with affection, and they returned the favor, loving referring to their grandpa as their papa. See, it's rough because that sounds like such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But I got to keep reminding myself, he was a horrible monster. He was a monster, yeah. Um, <clears throat> he was what went bump in the night. Uh, you know, the, the sex trafficking, the murders, the, you know, all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, terrible. Uh, so... You know, with the birth of his granddaughters, he officially entered into a new phase of his life. He's a family man and loving every moment of it. Even the FBI, who conducted uh, surveillance on Capone's every move since his release from prison, couldn't help but take note. In official reports, they remarked upon happy family gathering after Hamley, happy family gathering at the Capone resident, with one agent making the official commitment that Capone and his family had a extremely close bond. In the end, it was a break, uh, bond that only death would break. That happens. <clears throat> death is known to break quite a few bonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after coming back from prison, here's here's a fascinating little fact that you might enjoy. Um, <clears throat> he had difficulty sleeping in his large master bedroom of his Florida estate. Um, because of his small cramped prison cell, he could only sleep uh, if he was uh, in a small, uh, <clears throat> he could only sleep in similar conditions. Most nights, uh, Capone preferred to sleep on a single bed in a small back room of the house. He did on occasion join his wife in the master bedroom. However, and on January 21st, 1947, it just so happened that Capone chose to sleep in the same bed as his wife, May. On that particular night, May was uh, jarred awake to hear her husband gasping for air beside her. Right away, she knew that Al, Al was in serious trouble perhaps even breathing his last breaths. As he struggled, she desperately attempted to soothe him back to a normal state, but his difficulty persisted. She then gave him a glass of water, but after trying to drink it, he merely started choking on the fluid, making oh the condition God. even worse. May then began to scream for the rest of the household to wake up and help her. His physician was quickly called and arrived as soon as he could, reaching the Capone residence around 5 o'clock in the morning. Thankfully, the doctor was able to give Capone some medication that calmed his condition and allowed him to finally catch his breath. Uh, not for nothing to double back on what you were saying. It, it's definitely an interesting fact that he you know, could only sleep in a small room reminiscent of a cell. Um, I just want to hit on the fact that prison is fucking damaging. Mm -hmm. you know, I've been out I've been out four years myself and I still still am dealing with the trauma of prison. And I don't necessarily like Al Capone, but I completely understand why he was more comfortable in a small cramped room. That's that's the alt right of you uh siding with a monster, Johnny. <laughs> I guess I walked right into that one. But that also <laughs> like when quarantine uh, first happened and we were in our houses for forever 
you know, after I got past the shock of, okay, comedy's done for a while, I was completely fine you in my thrived. small cramped quarters. Yeah, because I, I was so used to living, you know, in those cramped quarters like that. It didn't bother me. It actually allowed me to grow. Um, <clears throat> on January 23rd, yeah, uh, even with deployments and stuff, like, I was perfectly good for the first couple of months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. Those crazy experiences uh, damage you so much that in a situation like quarantine, it'll benefit you. Like for seven months, I was confined on a ship, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I was in my bedroom. I had a computer. I had Wi-Fi. Um, you know, it was... I, uh, I looked at other people freaking out about being locked in the house, and I was just like, ha, rookies. <laughs> uh, so, on January 23rd, Capone was fully awake and seemingly making a complete recovery, but just as the family thought that his recover, recovery was assured, uh, they were informed that he developed a severe case of pneumonia. He was immediately given oxygen and other medications um, deemed to be helpful, but none of it seemed to give him permanent relief. Despite the best efforts of everyone involved, uh, Capone's life uh, began to persistently fade shortly thereafter. Oh, oh no. Al mm. Capone's dying. Oh no. The man who caused so much heartbreak and so much brutality uh, quietly passed away on January 25th, 1947. You know what, though? To me, he went out like a sucker. Um, I feel like his story would have ended better if he was, like, gunned down in a blaze, you know what I mean, in a firefight of some sort. He definitely didn't die how he lived his life. Not at all. He got off, I feel, he got off lucky. Uh, <clears throat> the official cause of his death was listed, listed as bronchial pneumonia. After his death, arrangements were made for his funeral and burial to take place in his adopted home in Chicago. His family must have realized um, that Chicago and Capone were forever intertwined. There could be no other way. Initially, Capone was buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery, but for reasons that still remain unclear, a few years out from his interment, his remains were removed and transferred to Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillside. Here in his final resting place, Al Capone, the man who so ruthlessly ruled Chicago, has a grain stone uh, with three simple words. My Jesus mercy. What the fuck is that even supposed to mean on his tombstone? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, the family... was, was Al Capone, was it mentioned at all if he was religious at all? I don't know, but the way it seems, he probably found Jesus. Oh, my Jesus mercy. Oh, go fuck yourself, Al Capone. Uh, the family of his victims may not all feel quite so forgiving or merciful, but perhaps in the end, even the twisted and corrupt soul Al Capone found some sort of atonement. I fucking hope not. Uh, both in prison and his time as a virtual recluse on the outside, he certainly had a lot of time to think about what he had done. In his last days, the man who so often demanded, defended the accusations by saying what he did was just business seemed to have finally had his guilt catch up with him. He, after all, uh, often seen having imaginary conversations with the people he had killed. That, you know, to me, is, is wild in itself. 
that's a crazy uh, part of the story. Uh, in the final chapter of his life, uh, perhaps Al Capone, who was so famous for his wheeling and dealing and gang, uh, gangland, had worked out one final treaty, uh, one last negotiation, and attained <laughs> some form of clemency for himself. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Are you talking about a negotiation with Jesus? Basically. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. He bartered one last deal. <laughs> Died like a little bitch. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying if anybody you know has died from pneumonia, they're not dying like bitch. But like how Capone lived, uh, yeah. I just I I just think um, it's suited that he got taken out by something that is prevented nowadays. You know, like, <clears throat> and he probably died in a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, which which he deserved. He oh, deserved every second of it. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, no one really knows the amount of, you know, the body count that he had. He ruled Chicago with an iron fist. There, there's got to be a lot of skeletons and a lot of bloodshed. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So for him to, you know, have a terrible time in prison, you know, at Alcatraz, and How many families were ruined just because there uh, a man was killed because he was a uh, he was collateral damage? You know, they accidentally killed the White Knight of Chicago, but I'm sure he wasn't the first person to accidentally get murdered. And if you take, um, especially in those times, you know, I hate to reinforce uh, gender stereotypes, but in those days, the man was usually the breadwinner. And if you take out the breadwinner, you cripple a fucking family. And also think of how many daughters' lives were ruined. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm sure a lot of the girls that he had uh, his quote unquote torrid affairs with did so um, only consented out of fear. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't tell Al Capone no. And I just want to touch on he was six foot tall. The average height for a man in 2020 is five nine. So he was tall in today's standard. Back then, I'm sure he was significantly taller than the average man. He's in. He's definitely intimidating for sure. Um, like I said, he was ruthless. He always, he always, you know, said like, "Oh, it's just business." Oh, I didn't do that. Um, you know, and it's just, it, it's like his life finally caught up with him. And <clears throat> I don't think his family died in poverty, but they definitely weren't living with the wealth that they had. Uh, oh, there's no way. So. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, I just a fascinating story, but incredible you know, story. It's probably also good for his family that he got got out of the mob at the time, which, you know, his son, his wife, she knew what was going on. Yeah, I was going to say I refuse to give sympathy to his family because they enjoyed the fruits of the pain he caused. Mm hmm. You know, if if maybe you're not doing anything wrong, but when you're complacent in that situation, to me, you're just as bad. So I don't know if she's ever going to hear this or her family's ever going to hear this, but also fuck Al Capone's wife. Right. I mean, what's the son going to do, though? Just be like, fuck you, dad. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I dig it. But, you know, I'm sure uh, growing up like that uh, at some point your father's name uh, gave you advantages. 
Right. Who are but, you? Oh, I'm Al Capone's son. But none of the violence uh, that was seen in Chicago um, <laughs> would be matched to what, what happened. Um, uh, what would happen in New York City with the, the, the merging of the five crime families and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I looked this up for you. Frank Nitty. Uh, one of Capone's top henchmen uh, was in charge of the money flowing through the operation after um, Frank Nitto, or Nitty, uh, one of Capone's henchmen, he was in charge of taking over Chicago um, <clears throat> in 1931. Um, <clears throat> They both, him and Al Capone, were convicted of tax evasion and both were sent to the prison. However, Nitty received an 18-month sentence um, while Capone was sent away for 11 years. So hey, when because, he, You know what? Because that's because he wasn't who they were aiming for. Right. He was just a little bonus to get off the street for a year and a half. So, Johnny, what did you think? You learned a lot? Yeah, I did actually. I, like I said, I didn't. I thought I had always thought Al Capone died in prison. I did not know um, that he lived until 1947. I didn't know about a lot of this. I didn't know about the prison stabbing incident. I didn't know that at his core he was essentially a bitch until mm. he finally got some influence. <clears throat> I didn't know his uh, Scarface came from him being a, a sexual predator, so to speak. Right. There was there was a lot of good information in here that I didn't know about. So I want to ask you a question. Okay. So say you're an American citizen, 1924 and 1925. Um, would you have treated uh, Al Capone like the hero everybody else thought he was? Uh, more than likely out of fear. <laughs> well, I, I think I probably would have just because, you know, fuck the government. But Well, yeah, that too. But like, I don't know who's... Uh who's a big crime uh, member now or what, what's the guy's name um, from Mexico? El, El Chapo. Yeah. You know, I don't have feelings about El Chapo either way, but if I was in his presence, I would make sure um, that I didn't insult the man, that I treat him with the utmost respect because I know his capabilities. Uh, I also think one of the biggest things we learned today, uh, wrap it before you tap it. Yeah, 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 you better put a helmet on, folks. Because if it wasn't for syphilis, Capone probably would have raised, uh, rised back to power. Oh, absolutely. Since he got out of prison, there's not a doubt in my mind that if his mind wasn't um, incapacitated the way it was, that he wouldn't have came back and take the reins over. Until somebody found out that he was turned into a baby back bitch in prison. Yeah, either that or until somebody just flat out murdered him. Mm-hmm. Which I'm surprised didn't happen in prison, but I guess in Alcatraz, that's too far removed from anyone to get a letter that said, kill him. Either that or, or the benefit uh, from killing him wasn't worth anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was put away for a while. Um, and a lot of times, uh, at least from what I understand, the leader of a, of a family or of a crime syndicate is almost an interchangeable figurehead. Yeah, they, they lead, um, they're shown respect, whatnot, but if you cut off that head, another one grows in its place. 
Right. I uh, I agree. And uh, I also want to talk about uh, what we're going to be doing now with What in the History. I know the past uh, couple of episodes we've recorded live, but I think me and Johnny uh, have decided for the betterment of our episodes, uh, we're going to step away from that. And I think once a week following our episodes, we're going to do uh, a live stream of What in the History uh, shop talk. We'll talk about this week's episode and other things. Um, you know, I just think it's it's better for the recordings, and I hope you really enjoyed these episodes, but I think it's better for the recordings just to keep it between me and you and do a live stream later in the week. I agree, and guys, we're hoping this increases the uh, quality of the episodes. Um, we all are, We are also always looking for constructive criticism. You know, if you have thoughts or inputs, reach out to the page, the website, one of us, you know, we're always looking to make a better product for you guys. If you um, wanna... Because I, I know we're not big, but the people that listen right now, uh, you are who we do it for. Yes, we love doing this and we would continue to do it without any listeners. But the fact that people listen, uh, we want you to also enjoy it. And uh, if you want to watch these live streams, uh, they, they will stream on Facebook. Um, you know, at What in the History Pod, uh, they can be found on YouTube. Uh, again, at What in the History Pod. Uh, we're on Twitch at What in the History. We're on Periscope. What in the History. Um, like, share, subscribe, leave comments. Uh, I'd like to see comments from people that aren't my friends, even though I love that. Um, just we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear what what obscure history you want to hear about. I think. I think this episode is probably our more probably one of the more well-known things that we have done an episode on. I agree with that. Uh, usually the things we talk about are more obscure. However, um, as I'm always, always impressed with your research, Dan, like you always blow me away. I think you did a phenomenal job with that. And I learned so much more than I already knew. It's no problem, Johnny. It is absolutely my pleasure. I hope everybody else enjoyed um, coming up in November. I still don't have next week's episode decided yet, but because I am a military veteran and I love uh, American military history, uh, the month of November is going to be dedicated to um, not just like battles and wars but also medal of honor winners uh stuff like that like i i definitely think veterans day we're gonna do episodes on john Bassalone, um alvin york uh, a, a lot of these guys that we're going to be covering are essentially military badasses but that doesn't cover it enough some of the things these these guys have done um in conflict or in intense situations are almost at a level of unhuman uh, like John Baslone, he just basically channeled the angel of death one night on Guadalcanal. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you know the, the story yet, but you need to watch the Pacific or at least was, 15 was, minutes. Was that the man who was killing so many um, enemy soldiers that at some point he had to get from behind his machine gun and move bodies out of the way just to be able to kill more? Multiple times. Like that is almost an unhuman feat. Well, like Japanese soldiers, like they, they had this bonsai, uh, 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 bonsai concept that, you know, they would just rush the enemy. Like 
um, there, uh, Guadalcanal, there was um, a battle prior to this night called the Battle of Alligator Creek. And uh, <clears throat> the <clears throat> Japanese threw just about 2,000 soldiers at the Marines and just about 2,000 Japanese soldiers were killed. Like, that's fascinating. And I'm sure that the Marines at the time were outnumbered. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to get into all of it right now, but like on Guadalcanal, I think it was like uh, there was 10,000 Japanese there and about 10,000 Japanese died. Well, I hope this little teaser of uh, upcoming episodes got your chops wet, folks. <laughs> Me too. Uh, because like Johnny said, we're still going to do them if you don't listen, but please listen. <laughs> yeah, we're doing them either way. Um, but if you listen and you like them, that makes it even more enjoyable for us. But uh, that's the end of the episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed part one, part two, episode 11. Um, Johnny, as always, it is wonderful to record these with you. Um, always my pleasure, Dan. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on social media? You guys can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash tunacanjohn. I'm on Instagram at, at pandasmith827. Um, you can also check me out on my other podcast, Inquisitive Minds. Um, you can go to inquisitiveminds.com or check it out on all streaming services. It's spelled a little bit different. I-N-Q-U-I-Z-A-T-I-V-E, Minds. Um, that's all. Or you can find me at fucking what the history, guys. You already found me. Don't look for me. I'm here. <laughs> uh, you can find me at DV Comedy 814 on both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, what in the History podcast as well. Uh, there is a, a beautiful profile photo done by a lovely uh, Massachusetts comic, Brianna Woodward. Uh, not a damn cheese design. It's a picture of uh, me and Johnny. Uh, it's wonderfully done. Uh, <laughs> she does phenomenal artwork. She's not just a comic. She's a graphic designer and an artist. And if you get a chance, check her out. Not only is she funny, not only is she creative, she's very good at what she does. But that's it, folks. I hope you learned. I hope you know more about Al Capone than you did before. Uh, love you guys. Uh, take care of yourself. Till next week. Uh, I hope you learned something. Be a good person and have a great week. Peace and love, everybody. It was a moonless night. I was 18 years old. Life was going nowhere. It was midnight at the railroad tracks. Miles away from anywhere. Said my dark prayer. You didn't look quite how I figured. Green suit and black hair. Smile on his face, ribbons on his chest. He seemed to walk on air. Out of this town, I'd be handsome, wealthy, and brave. I'd travel the world, be powerful, but a slave until my grave. Now it's
Oh, 